You're listening to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet, and I want to talk about everything. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not Yahweh anointed you to be prince over his people Israel? And you shall reign over the people of Yahweh, and you will save them from the hand of their surrounding enemies. And this shall be the sign to you that Yahweh has anointed you to be prince over his heritage. When you depart from me today, you will meet two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, And they will say to you, The donkeys that you went to seek are found, and now your father has ceased to care about the donkeys and is anxious about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on from there further and come to the oak of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall accept from their hand. After that, you shall come to Gibeath Elohim, where there is a garrison of the Philistines. And there, as soon as you come to the city, you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them, prophesying. Then the Spirit of Yahweh will rush upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. Now when these signs meet you, do what your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Then go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I am coming down to you to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Seven days you shall wait until I come to you and show you what you shall do. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart, and all these signs came to pass that day. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the people said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And a man of the place answered, And who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul also among the prophets? When he had finished prophesying, he came to the high place. Saul's uncle said to him and to his servant, Where did you go? And he said, To seek the donkeys. And when we saw that they were not to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, Please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul said to his uncle, He told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom of which Samuel had spoken, he did not tell him anything. Now Samuel called the people together to Yahweh at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, Thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God, who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, Set a king over us. Now therefore present yourselves before Yahweh, by your tribes and by your thousands. Then Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. He brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans, and the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot. And Saul the son of Kish was taken by Lot, but when they sought him, he could not be found. So they inquired again of Yahweh, Is there a man still to come? And Yahweh said, Behold, He has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom Yahweh has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And all the people shouted, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before Yahweh. Then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his home. Saul also went to his home at Gibeah, and with him went men of valor, whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, How can this man save us? And they despised him, and brought him no present, but he held his peace.
Welcome back to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show. I'm Garrett Ashley Mullet. This is my show. That was for Samuel chapter 10. And today is Thursday, October 5th, 2023, episode 728 of this podcast. Today being a Thursday, it's a nice, cool, early, early morning, 47 degrees Fahrenheit, my computer tells me. Mostly clear, mostly clear, but not entirely clear. And so also the foreshadowing with regards to the person of Saul, who is head and shoulders taller than everybody else in Israel, and he has become a new man. But then what's up with the hiding in the package? Why is he hiding? You know, it's one thing if you're told to just stay out of the way, right? Somebody tells you, just stay out of the way, and you are going to be doing us all a favor, right? Somebody says that, and if you are not to be found, but you can say, hey, I was just doing what I was told, that's one thing. If you are supposed to be there, though, and you hide yourself, because why? <laughs> uh, you know, in, in Saul's case, right? In Saul's case, he is supposed to become this king over Israel. Why is he hiding himself? What's up with the hiding? What's up with the shyness? Or is this a, I don't want to be king because of the responsibility that comes with that? I don't want the duty. I don't want the obligation. I don't want the hassle. This is not my idea of a good time. I don't want the weight of this responsibility. Is that what it is? Does he have some sense of the kind of people Israel are, and he doesn't want to deal with their flack, their stubbornness, their disobedience. At the very last, don't miss it, in chapter 10 here, verse 27, some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. He notices this. He can't hold his peace in relation to these guys unless he notices that they hate him. And what kind of men are they? They're worthless men. But they're despising him is noticed and it bothers him. And their question could be answered a lot of different ways where you wouldn't have to hold your peace. If Saul is to be king over Israel, then perhaps these guys deserve some kind of a response. Maybe. We could debate that we could disagree. You could say, no, I think he did the right thing to just say nothing about it. But then here's the problem with Saul. The optics are that he is a strong guy. He's a handsome guy. He's well-born, well-bred, well-built. The optics are one thing, but then his character, other than this brief interlude wherein he's prophesying and all of that, thanks to God, credit to God, for allowing him to do it, other than the brief interlude wherein he is prophesying because God gives him the ability to prophesy, Saul is a bit of a empty suit. He's a bit of a vessel. He's a bit of a coward. And we see this later on in the story of David and Goliath. Why is it called David and Goliath? Because Saul was hiding in his tent. Otherwise, it could have been possibly called Saul and Goliath. By rights, Saul should have been the one confronting Goliath. He had several days in which to do so. And what was he doing there? He was hiding in his tent. What's he doing here as the casting of lots is supposed to reveal to all Israel that God himself has chosen Saul? This isn't Samuel who has chosen Saul. It's God who has chosen Saul to be king. Where is Saul? He's hiding. Not exactly the way to inspire confidence in worthless fellows, for instance, when you're hiding is this fear? Is this shyness? Is this, I don't want to be bothered? It doesn't say. All it says is they found him and they stood him among the people. He stood among the people and he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel asks, do you see whom Yahweh has chosen? There is none like him among all the people. And the people shout, long live the king, because that's what you're supposed to say in these moments. But in this way, you see that it's not just God who makes the king. It's not Samuel's anointing alone that makes the king. It's also the people who make a king. 
And this is Samuel Rutherford's point in Lex Rex, written and published 1644. It's not God alone in a vacuum, working completely independent of the perceptions of the people. No, no. You know in part why it is that this man is to be king from how God reveals that man's qualities, that man's characteristics to the people at the apportioned time, and they make him a king in addition to God making the man a king. It's not either or. It's both and. Short of God himself parting the heavens and saying, this is your new king, what we have to go on is who ends up being king. And interestingly enough, if you think about politics here in the United States right now, with the 2024 election just a year away, the presidential election, much anticipated. There's a great deal of drama all wrapped up in whether we will have four more years of Joe Biden, which I don't think we can afford. I don't think we will have a country if we have four more years of Joe Biden, but maybe, right? Maybe it'll just go very badly. We can't imagine it. We don't want to imagine it, but it is possible that the Democrats will lie, steal, and cheat their way into a re-election for Joe Biden. But then there's a possibility we could have a reprieve. We could get four more years of Donald Trump, which I think would be a reprieve. From my recollection, the economy was doing pretty great when Trump was president. But then how do you know, in part, that God wanted Trump to be president? He was president. That may seem overly simplistic, but that's the way that it is. That's how it works. God allowed Trump to be president, and it was God's will that Trump would be president for four years. And then for those who are very upset about the 2020 election having been stolen by fraud and deceit, which we all saw, right? We all saw it. We saw the fraud and the deceit. There's no denying that the way COVID was exploited by Democrats was fraudulent and deceitful. The way that safeguards designed to prevent cheating in an election were all bypassed during the election. You wouldn't need to bypass all of those safeties if You weren't trying to cheat, but they were, so they did. Even so, God allowed that to happen, and we should know that. We should know that it was God's will for that to happen, and the character of our country, of our people, is responded to by our circumstances. Or that is to say that our character leads directly to the kinds of circumstances that we currently reside in and the kinds of circumstances that we might reside in in future. We will get our just desserts, or if we are repentant, if we are contrite, if we turn away from our sins as a people and pursue righteousness and do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with our God, we will get mercy. It would be a mercy for us to be relieved of Joe Biden and the Democrats having control over our government. That would be a mercy. They're doing a terrible, terrible thing to our country. Not just are we suffering for it in the present, but future generations will be poorer and less safe and less prosperous and less happy for what the Democrats have done and are doing. But then don't miss something shown about the character of God in 1 Samuel chapter 10. What is it that Samuel says to Israel? Verse 17 Samuel called the people together to Yahweh at Mizpah, and he said to the people of Israel, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, I brought up, I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. But today you have rejected your God who saves you from all your calamities and your distresses, and you have said to him, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before Yahweh by your tribes and by your thousands, So this is not a extended, in-depth, I'll wait for you to change your mind. No, no, no. You have rejected Yahweh, your God. And what's interesting is if God were waiting for a response from this people, there's no indication in the text that there's any response. They're completely unresponsive. Samuel faithfully delivers the word of God to the people you have rejected your God. 
who saves you. You have rejected him, and they are unfazed. This is a stubborn, stiff-necked people. This is a willful people. This is a haughty people, and they don't see what's coming. They don't see what's coming. All they know is that they're going to get what they wanted. They're going to get what they demanded. God's not waiting on them. And as a matter of fact, his giving them what they want is, in part, the judgment. The punishment fits the crime. They will get what they want, and they will suffer the consequences. If they would have listened, if they would have taken heed, if they would have been content for God to be ruling over them as their king, how wonderful would that have been? But then it's all speculative what that would have been like for Israel. It's all speculative. And what we do know is that they weren't content and that they were stubborn. They thought a change in their form of government from being ruled by God to being ruled by a king like the surrounding nations. They thought that that would give them what they wanted, which was namely acceptance in the international community. Legitimacy. Hey, you know what? The other nations have kings. Yeah. And that kind of thinking is just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the other nations worship other gods. And so let's worship other gods. We want to be just like the other nations. Now that God has brought us up out of Egypt, now that he has delivered us from the hand of the Egyptians and all the kingdoms that were oppressing us, now that he's done that, now that he has established us in the land, and now that we are a nation and a people, by his miraculous intervention, his mighty right hand, his having promised very graciously to make us so, and then doing it, now that we're a nation that was no nation, a people that was no people, let's be just like everybody else, but arguably worse, because we should know better. Have it your own way, God says. Have it your own way. Okay, here you go. You've rejected me here. And then in verse 24, do you see him who Yahweh has chosen? There's none like him among all the people. Yeah, and he was hiding in the baggage. Remember everything that was told to Joshua as he was about to take leadership over from Moses. Moses was old and was going to pass on shortly, and Joshua would be his successor, and God told Moses to prepare Joshua to be the ruler of the people, the leader of the people, God's servant, spokesperson over the people. Remember how God told Moses to prepare Joshua to be strong and courageous. And then when Moses passed away, God spoke directly to Joshua and said, be very strong and courageous. Have I not commanded you? Yeah. Well, you're going to see what happens with Saul when you don't have bold, decisive, courageous leadership. You have cowardly, vacillating, double-minded, people-pleasing, cowardly, selfish, stubborn leadership over a people. King or no king, he represents this people and he is the conduit for their being disciplined. They will be disciplined and if we're wise, we learn the lessons from their example, from this, their folly. If we're wise, most of us will not learn the lesson. Most of us could not care less because we're just like the people of Israel who demanded a king and who were unfazed. Most of us are like that. Some of us are not. Tell the righteous it will go well with them. They will eat the fruit of their deeds. But more to come. More to come soon enough about Saul. Let's talk about some current events items. Let's start with talking about the all sides media bias chart version 9.2 updated ratings plus a new all sides fact check bias chart trademark September 22nd by all sides staff over at allsides.com here is their chart as broken into five columns far left center left centrist center right far right In the far-left category, we have Alternate, The Atlantic, Democracy Now!, Daily Beast, HuffPost, The Intercept, Jacobin, Mother Jones, MSNBC, The New Yorker, The New York Times Opinion, The Nation, Slate, and Vox. If you have any familiarity with any of those outlets, you know this is accurate. They are 
very much creatures of the left. Center left, so a little more subtle, no less sure in my opinion, in my view, no less sure that these folks, these outlets are on the left, but they are a bit more crafty about it. They suggest more than state. ABC News, the Associated Press, Axios, Bloomberg, CPS News, CNN, The Guardian, Insider, NBC News, The New York Times, News, NPR, Politico, ProPublica, Time, The Washington Post, USA Today, and Yahoo News. You'll notice that The New York Times News is classified as center-left. The New York Times Opinion is classified as decidedly, distinctly, very much on the left, not center-left. No, no, they're just all the way over there. They are on the left when they give their opinions. What you have to watch for is when they're presenting something as news, but they're editorializing in the headline, in what facts they include, what they deem relevant. You've got to watch out for that. You do. But in the center column, BBC News, the Christian Science Monitor, Forbes, Market Watch, News Nation, Newsweek, Reuters, Real Clear, Politics, The Hill, and The Wall Street Journal News. All of these are considered in the center of the political spectrum when it comes to their media bias. Right down the middle, neither of the right nor of the left, these outlets are said to be. Fairly objective, fairly unbiased. Just the facts, ma'am. Center-right, we have The Dispatch, The Epoch Times, Fox Business, National Review, News, New York Post, News, Reason, Magazine, The Wall Street Journal, Opinion, Washington Examiner, and The Washington Times. And then on the far right, The American Conservative, The American Spectator, Breitbart, Blaze Media, CBN, Daily Caller, Daily Mail, The Daily Wire, The Post-Millennial, Fox News, The Federalist, Independent Journal Review, IJR, National Review, Opinion, New York Post, Opinion, Newsmax, The Washington Free Beacon, and OAN, One America News Network. So there you go. There you have the major outlets, the big ones that you'll see headlines from most often. This is how All Sides classifies them. And, oh, by the way, if you haven't heard me recommend it before, do check out allsides.com where they aggregate headlines on various big stories that all ends of the political spectrum are reporting on. They include links to the articles, but then you can see how even just in the titles, even just in the headline from these various outlets, you'll get editorializing. You are getting a narrative from the jump before you even read the facts of the case. Thank you to Monica Chavez and her friend, whose name escapes me at the moment, who gave the recommendation for this website. I am always in the market for a good news aggregator. This one is a good news aggregator. And it's helpful because every now and then you'll come across an outlet where you're just like, man, it's so similar. Daily Witch? Which which daily? Right? Is it the the Daily Beast? The Daily Wire? The Daily Mail? Daily Caller? So much daily. How about Washington? Which one is the one that's more on the left? Is it the Washington Post? No, no. Maybe it was the Washington Times. Maybe the Washington Examiner. Maybe Washington Free Beacon. I don't know. I don't know. Washington. It's all the same, right? No, it's not. It's not all the same. Some of these outlets definitely favor the left. They run interference in both their news reporting and their editorializing. Their opinion pieces run interference for the left. They love the policies of the left. They want to see those policies succeed. And others are very much in the bag for conservatism. And plenty go either way. They want to look more objective, but then this is all relative, right? This is all relative. And the farther left, the most leftward, the most left-leaning of these outlets get, the more the center is going to shift. Well, we'll give you that, right? Well, we'll compromise here. Well, okay, you have a point there. Okay, we'll include this detail. Okay, we won't say that thing. We'll negotiate about what terms are appropriate. Okay, yeah, we don't want to offend. 
But what is that a factor of? Very often, that's a factor of who wants to maintain social ties with whom, who is going to possibly pull advertising by which these outlets make their money, or will they possibly lose subscribers? Will they be boycotted if they don't get with the times, if they don't update their standards, update their sensibilities? Which standards, which sensibilities, and on what basis do they make the determination? All of that is much more foundational, much more at the root of how these different outlets are going to cover different aspects of stories, different stories entirely, whether they will cover certain stories at all because they have better things to do with their time as they are trying to advance a certain vision of the good life, a certain view of the world. Some of these outlets are comprised of worthless men who say, how can this man save us when it's really not the point, right? Thank you for proving the point, but that's not the point when you're God's people if you're living in proper relationship to God, but then we're not. So what's the difference? Do you want leftist godlessness or do you want rightist? (laughs) Do you want centrist godlessness? Well, if it's godlessness all the way down, all the way across the spectrum, then it's going to come to the same end, but it's still worthwhile. It's still important to know what the biases are, that there is a bias. Now, this doesn't mean necessarily that some of these, as they say, are inaccurate or they lack credibility, but this is their perspective. If you were to match up the reporting and what kind of content is published and how it's curated, how it's presented with the party platform, the policy prescriptions of the two principal political parties, but then more to the point, the political philosophies, right and left, more progressive on the one hand, more conservative on the other hand. If you were to match up, hey, does this lead somebody to vote a certain way, one way or the other, or no, it's good for you to know that that is baked into the equation, even when people will say, oh, no, no, no. No, it's not. It is though, right? It is even when it comes to being a centrist, because as much as anything, being a centrist has to do with what you're going to leave out. The headline may be half as long and contain no adjectives. And maybe that's the only difference. It's like the fat-free with less sodium now diet version of this or that policy, this or that platform, this or that candidate's track record, this or that news item. It's good for us to know, but also it's not enough. It's not enough to know because what we really need to know is what is our basis for coming to the conclusions that we do, for making some of the determinations that we make. What is our bias? And is it a bias towards the truth? That's bound up in this, but take care because if you're sensibility, if your sense of what is true, what is credible, what is accurate, what is fair, what is realistic, if it is derived from these media outlets or an aggregate of what they will agree to, well then, it's completely up in the air. From one year to the next, it's completely up in the air what sorts of things you're going to support and oppose, what you're going to shrug about, what you're going to get very upset about, what you're going to get very excited about. Sometimes you're going to get excited about things that amount to nothing. Sometimes you're going to shrug about things that are actually very important that you should care about. You're going to throw in the towel before you should. If you are superficial and you just go with what you perceive to be the consensus, don't do that. Know what is true. Know what is good, that you would say the true thing, that you would do the good thing, that you would hold back from doing what is evil that when called on, you could give a honest, genuine, accurate prescription. What should we do? I have an answer. And if people listen, then they listen. If they won't listen, well, then at least you did your part. But that involves going back to what did God say? Because God's the only one who doesn't have a reason to lie to you, right? He's not a man that he should lie, which is to say every man will find temptation to skew, to leave certain things out, You know, it's funny, in 1 Samuel chapter 10, if you noticed, 
Saul's uncle asks him what Samuel said to him. He says, please tell me what Samuel said to you. And Saul, very obviously, very conspicuously, leaves out the part about the kingdom, about becoming king. It's kind of a big deal. You would think that would be a big piece of news. But then that is to say Saul doesn't trust his uncle. So he doesn't give him the whole truth. He tells him just enough. He doesn't tell them. It doesn't tell him nothing, right? He tells him about the donkeys. Yeah, he said that the donkeys had been found. Well, that's true, but then that's not the whole truth. And that's actually not the most exciting part of the truth in answer to this inquiry from your uncle. Well, so also, thinking rightly about media bias, the centrist position for what it leaves out may just have negotiated with the radical left that doesn't want you knowing certain facts certain details that would lead you to take action. Don't confuse the centrist position with the fair and just position. It's just a moderate position. But it could be, as often as not, that the centrist position is running interference by leaving out evidence of bad behavior and dishonesty. We'll only include that once the far left outlets are also willing to concede once we can all agree, there is a benefit to getting the centrist position. Sure, you get something of an idea of the consensus. And okay, if the consensus is, for instance, for example, that Joe Biden has behaved very badly, if that's the consensus, well, then that tells you something. But his behaving badly does not wait on the concession. It's either true objectively or it's categorically false before these guys are willing to report on it, before they are willing to agree to admit it to us and tell us about it and say we should do something about it. By the time they're willing to agree, all that really tells us is that they are now willing to do something about it, which is to say if powerful allies were all wrapped up in the shenanigans they've had, enough time to extricate themselves. They've had enough time to disentangle themselves to where now, okay, maybe we can cut this guy loose. If this is a common practice, all too common for career politicians that they peddle influence abroad, by the time they admit, by the time they say, ah, yes, Biden is doing a bad job, can't hide it, can't hide it anymore, they have probably reshuffled the deck as far as them being held accountable and they will tell you about it once they don't have anything to lose. But then that's just the way that it is. That's just what it is. And that's the way it's always been. That's how people are. That's not unique to our time. No, I'm not being a conspiracy theorist to say it. I'm being a realist about human nature. And I can't come to a different conclusion when I read scripture. A lot of us have very Christian sensibilities, but we don't have biblical literacy. And so we don't have informed anthropology any more than we have informed theology. A lot of us just say truest, centrist things about God and about people, but then by the time we're willing to concede this or that about human nature or about the character of God, by the time we're willing to concede if our premise is the same as the centrist outlets in our news media, well then, it didn't just become true. It's been true all along and for as long as you weren't willing to admit it, you weren't responsive to it. You were, okay, yeah, whatever about it. Just give me what I want. Skip to the part where I say, long live the king, please. Let's fast forward. And so far as that's your attitude, well, it's going to go about how it has gone since forever. You'll know that I'm telling you the truth as these things take shape. And as you look, don't take my word for it, as you look in scripture and look around you, look at history, look at current events and watch them unfold, you will know that this is the case, that it was true before it was reported on. Of course, it was true before it was reported on. And yes, it was true even when it was being passionately denied for some time by those who were vested and had something to lose by admitting it. They wanted to buy themselves time with a delay action until they could get themselves disentangled. And this is not just the wealthy and the powerful and the influential and the very sophisticated. This is just people, right? 
the more wealthy they get, the more obvious it might be, but this is people. This is human nature, not just the nature of the wealthy and the well-educated and the well-connected and the politically powerful. No, no, this is people. It's just some people are more sophisticated about how they express these aspects of human nature apart from God. Speaking of this being the way of people, I'm going to go ahead and play for you a bit of audio from Real Time with Bill Maher featuring guests Mary Catherine Hamm and Sam Harris discussing Joe Biden and Donald Trump and how do we make sense of the various narratives that have been swirling around our American presidency for the last four, five, six years. I'll provide the audio for you, and then I will provide some commentary for you. But here, first up, cut one, take a listen. The original sin where you talk about law enforcement problems um, and Republican attitudes toward law enforcement, particularly as the FBI on this stuff, the original sin from both media and the intelligence agencies and, and, uh, and federal law enforcement is the Russiagate stuff. And the reason that so many in the party, and I'm here as the translator because I'm not one of them, but so many in the party accept so much of Donald Trump's behavior is because the Russia stuff was a lie and nobody paid for it. No, it wasn't. Well, it wasn't all a lie. It was not all a lie. You guys have been ripped. Are you you guys going to do a steel dossier on me? No, no, no. Well, some of the steel dossier was true. Okay, you know, this... Like, this, we did Mueller report for three years. Yes, and, and Mueller never time, said he was innocent. And the whole time, I'm like, guys, I don't think he's a Russian plant. And everyone on CNN set is looking he, at me like I'm crazy. And at the end, we get to not much there, there. Which no, was there the was case quite throughout. a bit there. There was a lot there. There was there. a lot there. Yeah. There was collusion we never had before. It was unprecedented that a president would do that. He just did it in public because yeah. he's insane. You do know... He's, he, <laughs> no, I, he's, I do think, I think one of the advantages... Of being insane. And most of it, probably none of it was illegal. Right? So, I mean, this was always David Frum's line. Everything he's doing is in plain view and it's not illegal. He's just violating every political norm we have. Except there there were things that were illegal, like using the FISA court to spy on American citizens in ways that they should not have done. That 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 was legal, but that wasn't him. That's right. right. And the fact that the Hillary Clinton campaign was partially responsible for funding this dossier, which partially came from, oh, wait for it, Russian disinformation. And let's pause for a moment and let's consider Mary Catherine Hamm talking with Sam Harris, talking with Bill Maher, even with some concessions, right? Even where they will agree a little bit, kind of, sort of, but they don't want to. You could tell that there's still this narrative that doesn't want to let go. And why is the narrative holding on so strong? Because there was wall-to-wall coverage. Everything that was said, everything that was done was turned into a big scandal. And what you don't see in the audio is where the person who put together this clip, this YouTube clip that was embedded in the blaze.com story about this exchange from Chris Enloe, they just paused the back and forth a little bit and they put up pictures of newspaper headlines with the conclusion of the Mueller investigation, years and years of investigation by the FBI, finding that there was no collusion. There was no collusion between Russia and Trump, no evidence of collusion, which of course, those who don't wanna let go of the narrative, they say, ah, there was no evidence, but there was still collusion just because they didn't find evidence. That doesn't mean that he was not guilty. And you say, okay, you guys want a conviction. This is a conviction, this is animus, this is hatred towards a person which was premeditated and you were brainwashed into it. You guys were hypnotized on the left to hate this guy so that you wouldn't listen to what he had to say because he was opposed to some very wealthy, very powerful interests. The folks who wanted you to hate him wanted you to think he's the only rich person with an agenda here. He's the only wealthy person, wealthy and powerful, and yes, sometimes very callous, very rude person with an agenda here. They put all of his qualities that were most abrasive, most obnoxious on blast. They took audio out of context. They took his actions behind the scenes for years and years out of context again and again and again 
on the left because they wanted you to hate him so that you wouldn't listen to what he had to say, so that you wouldn't agree with him, so you wouldn't be persuaded. And even now, years later, years into Biden's presidency, we are still having a lot of the same conversations about Trump because nobody has changed their mind really truly at a high level where you could actually lose your primetime show. You could lose your book deal. You could end up not having the professional associations by which you make your money and you subsist or even have a social life at all if you change your tune, if you say, you know what, Trump was right. Why? Because there's a lot of Democrats, there's a lot of people on the left who are going to say, you traitor. You traitor. How could you? You are canceled. But going back to the exchange, I'll play a little bit more for you where Sam Harris and Bill Maher admit something as to the double standard, which is important for us to hear them admit. Not that we didn't know that it was true, but it's important for us to hear them admit it. Maybe this is a good sign. Here it is. I'll play cut two from the same interview, the same show. Take a listen. Okay, but Paul Manafort is like a 200-pound gold bar in the closet. I mean, it, 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 the, 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 the transgression, the unseemliness of it is right it's, on the surface, given his contacts with, well, and with, I, with Russia. So I'm, I'm it's not exactly everything they said it was, but it, it's not nothing. The standard of evidence used for the Russia thing for three, four years versus the standard of evidence used now in media for Biden and Hunter Biden's shenanigans and mm. fairly obvious influence peddling is worlds apart. Worlds yeah. apart. And I would just like to, and voters deserve fairness in how these two people are treated. They do not get it, and they sometimes don't get yeah. it from law enforcement. Okay, and that's so, bad. Yes, I mean, there's a lot to untangle here, but the, I'll completely grant you that if, you know, if Hunter Biden had been Don Jr., if it had been Don Jr.'s laptop, everything would change in terms right. of the, the reception. And that seems like an unfair asymmetry. But the background reality is we have never had a person like Trump in our politics, certainly not in the lifetime of anyone in this, in this studio. And he has, he has shattered every norm. I mean, we didn't even know we, how much we relied on norms. I mean, we're, yes. we're a nation of laws, right. but more well, important than the laws are the norms, like, like, like committing to a peaceful transfer of power when you're, when you're a president. I mean, that, that was the most shocking violation of, of you know, normal democratic principles, yeah. I, I think, mean, in our I agree. I agree with you about the norms. And here's the problem. A bunch of people, including in the justice system, looked at Trump and said, he's going to bust all the norms. And you know what we need to do? Bust all the norms to stop him. And that is oh, a very, all, very no, unhealthy yeah. decision. It's unhealthy. Okay. I'll get right. to that. But. Got to stop. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome back. Time for new rules. Okay. So let's just stop right there. Like Bill Maher said, oh, we're going to have to stop right there. Let's just stop right there and absorb what was just said, what was just admitted. If we are comparing how Trump was related to by media, and by law enforcement, by the administrative state, by law enforcement, by politicians, by the media, if we compare that with how Biden is in real time currently being related to, how untoward, unseemly interactions from his family and himself towards foreign officials foreign nationals, what is very obviously evidence, a mountain of evidence of influence peddling, which is to say taking bribes, taking bribes and perverting justice for years and for decades. There's no question. There are two different sets of rules. And what does Sam Harris say? He says, I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that. If this were not Hunter Biden's laptop, that was the big stir a couple of years ago, three years ago around about this time, if this had been Donald Trump Jr.'s laptop, the response from law enforcement would have been very different. The response from media would have been very different. The response from social media giants would have been very different, exactly opposite, as a matter of fact. And then what? Basically, Marr and Harris say, ah, but that's the thing about Trump is he does all of these things out in the open 
because he's a crazy person. He's an insane person. He does these things out in open. And even if he didn't break any laws, he violated our norms. Now, hold on a second. What you're admitting is what he did, what he was doing was not illegal. It was just a big change. Well, then that really goes back to what Trump has been saying all along, which is they're coming after me because I am disrupting their status quo. I'm disrupting a business model for a lot of these people that has been very lucrative. And actually, as a matter of fact, if they've been corrupt and they should be held accountable for being corrupt and for taking bribes, for influence peddling, for sabotaging America's economic interests, our national security, our reputation in the world, the reputation of our allies, the economic interests of our allies, if these people, if their business model has been to sell out our country and our allies' countries for years and for decades, they didn't just do something unethical. They didn't just do something that violates a norm. They did something illegal and actually even possibly treasonous. If they did something treasonous, if they were in the practice of doing something treasonous and betraying our country, taking bribes and undermining us on every front, making decisions that don't make any sense, then acting like, oh, we can't, we can't do anything about it to change it. No, no, it's bureaucratic. They wrap it all up in bureaucratic red tape and then claim, oh, no, no, we can't change it, right? That's so-and-so's department. Oh, that's so-and-so's jurisdiction. Oh, that's so-and-so's decision. Oh, sorry, we just can't even possibly bring this to a vote. Oh, we can't go back now. Trump upending the norms, as Mary Catherine Ham puts it, led to a whole lot of other people saying, we've got to throw out all the norms to stop him. And then, as you see, Bill Maher and Sam Harris pretty quickly are done with the conversation. Yeah, kind of, uh, I'm really not comfortable with where you have just brought us to in the conversation. That's how that ends. And there's probably a conversation in the earpiece of, all right, wrap it up. We got to move on. This is getting a little too fresh, a little too fresh. But I bring this up because when it's not illegal for you to change the way that we think about something and people react badly and all of a sudden everything you do is scandalous, the norms are already out the window if we want to believe that our country is predicated on a division of governing authority, checks and balances. If we want to believe that one of the checks and balances is that we, the people, can alter or abolish our government if it's no longer serving our interests and securing our rights, well, then we have a process. We have an election process whereby we can do that. We can change our government. What happens when the corporate news media, when social media, when the bureaucratic state decide together that they don't want us to alter or abolish our government as comprised? What happens when they decide that they are all in for stopping somebody who's going to clean house and bring a close to their activities? Do we have the ability to say that we are still a functioning democracy, a functioning republic? Are we a nation ruled by laws anymore? If when somebody, say, for instance, Trump, but not limited to Trump, is not guilty of a crime, but then they have to drum up one charge after another, after another, after another. Everything has to be a scandal wall to wall so that you don't think about what he's actually saying, so that you don't have to reason with it. Let's just make it easy. Let's make him an incredible person, a person lacking in credibility. When that's where we're at, you can say you don't like Trump voters, Trump supporters objecting to it, but you don't have a leg to stand on disputing their characterization of this as unfair, as partial. When the admission is that this is a very different standard when it comes to Biden, I think what we have to recognize is that it's not just that they go easy on Biden because that's typical, right? That's not upsetting our norms to hear what they didn't admit, to take it a step farther. What they were saying was the distinction about Trump is that he was upending norms. Biden is not upending norms 
to do what he's been doing, what his family's been doing and getting away with. He's not upending the norms. That's business as usual. Well, that tells you everything that you need to know about the political class that is very content to see Trump destroyed or at bare minimum to see him never able to work in this town again. What Biden is doing is typical. This has become a characteristic. This has become a feature of government officials, elected officials, career politicians, that they are selling access to our country's best interest to the highest bidder. They take bribes, plain and simple. They are corrupt. They pervert justice. Insofar as Trump was targeted because he was upsetting norms, he was changing the game, they've decided they're going to throw out the norms. I agree with Mary Catherine Ham on this. They're going to throw out the norms to stop him from upending certain norms. But then here's the thing. And this goes back to 2016 when he was running in the first place for presidency. A lot of moderates, a lot of evangelical Christians that I knew in my extended family, among my friends, their upset with Trump didn't have anything to do with whether he was involved with Russia. Nah, whatever. No, no, no. It was that he was uncouth, right? It was just that he was rude. It was just that he was insulting towards people publicly. But then wait a second, okay? Wait a second. Let's go back to 1 Samuel chapter 10 for a moment. What's the last verse? But some worthless fellows. Now, just stop right there. If that were a Trump tweet back in the day, you would have evangelicals saying, ooh, uh, see, this is why I just, I can't get behind Trump. I just can't vote for Trump. I just can't support this guy. That is not a honorable, polite, courteous, dignified thing to say. Worthless fellows. See, why does he have to call people things like that? No, no, no. The biblical text in this case is describing the men who say about Saul, how can this man save us? The men who despise him and bring him no present. The biblical text, 1 Samuel is describing those men as worthless men, worthless fellows. So these are worthless fellows. And what do worthless fellows do in this context? As Israel has demanded a king and God has said to Samuel, here's the king. You're going to give Israel, just warn them, warn them that it's not all benefit. It's also cost. They say, how can this man save us? And they despise him. They hate him. You and I both understand very well why it is worthless men would hate somebody who is elevated to a position of authority over a country because of jealousy, because of envy. Well, why did he get that, right? This is human nature, not rich people versus poor people, not white people versus people of color, not men versus women, not highly educated versus can't read so good. No, this is just people. Leave their socioeconomic status out of it. Worthless fellows, despised Saul, and brought him no present, which is an interesting way to convey that they slighted him. They did not honor him. They were not showing an appropriate respect for Saul. It would have been customary for them to bring him a present, which is to say that they had the means to bring him a present, which is to say that these are probably others who are in a class which has means. They have the material wealth to allow them to bring a present to Saul. And they bring him no present. Why? Because they despised him. But it says he held his peace. I think what's so upsetting to the very polite people, the very comfortable people, but also in too many cases, the very morally apathetic and indifferent people, the big fish here is not Trump's behavior. It's not the behavior of people like Trump who disrupt, who are challenging the status quo. It's not that. That's what they're content to say is the big fish. But the big fish here is when the status quo becomes very corrupt and it needs to be challenged and nobody's challenging it. Everybody's just going along with it. That's the big fish. That's what's so concerning. And Trump didn't hold his peace. Trump did not just quietly take it. He objected loudly. And I think personally, he objected loudly because attention needed to be drawn to it. But then the more attention you draw to it, the more agitated the beehive gets about you upsetting their home, their place of business, 
They've made themselves very comfortable. How dare you object? Ooh, it's not enough that you were going to challenge us. Now you're complaining as we try to destroy you. You're drawing attention to what it is that we're doing that's so underhanded and shady. You're calling us out in front of everybody. This is actually going to result in us losing credibility, us being destroyed. Oh, no, 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 no. Let's pull out all the stops. Let's upend all the norms, bypass all the safeties because we have to stop you because now increasingly this is a life or death struggle. And this is why Tucker Carlson, when he had his interview with Trump concurrent with the first Republican primary debate several weeks ago, he said, are you worried at all about assassination attempts? Because it seems to me like they have nowhere to go from here except to try and kill you. These prosecutions, if they don't succeed, if they fail, they have nowhere else to go except for killing you. And that's accurate. That's accurate because this is a life or death struggle for those who have been very corrupt. And we probably don't even know the half of it. They have to stop him or else it's curtains for them. But then this is nothing new. I share with you the clips from Bill Maher, Mary Catherine Hamm, Sam Harris discussing media bias, the bias of the bureaucratic state. I share with you about the chart from all sides, not because you or I, if we think rightly about this, we can change these things fundamentally at their core, the nature of them, but insofar as we would relate to these things, don't spread a false report. That's important. It would be very sad if not being able to change these things, we said, okay, well, if I can't beat it, I'm going to join it. If I can't stop it, well, then I guess I just throw in the towel because this is what it is. No, this is why we should be involved in local politics. This is why we need to be more involved in our local community and understand the kinds of decisions that are being made, who's making those decisions, when is the opportunity to provide public comment and weigh in on the decisions. This is why it's so important that we would pay attention and we would be involved at a local level because it's too easy for these folks to do what they do, what they're doing according to their nature at a national level, at an international level when we check out. We may not be able to stop them, but we may be able to slow them down at least in our own backyard as it pertains to our business if we're engaged and we're seen to be engaged. And when I say we, I mean it can't be one person. All of these corrupt forces will be brought to bear at a local level to stop or silence you and me. Even just the implied threats will be enough to silence or chill a lot of folks who don't really understand all of this. They just know that it's dangerous, right? They know instinctively that these are uncharted waters for them and they're going to want to shut it down before it gets somebody hurt, before it gets them hurt, before it upsets their day. For us to get involved it needs to be us getting involved at a local level with other like-minded lovers of God, lovers of what is good. We need to be together pursuing the welfare of the city, seeking the welfare of the city to which Yahweh our God has brought us in our exile. Because as was said in the Revolutionary War, America's War for Independence, gentlemen, we must hang together or else we will assuredly hang separately, to quote or paraphrase Ben Franklin, this is what it is for us. This is what it is for us. But that's all the time I've got for this episode. I got to run. I am meeting a friend for coffee. We're going to discuss the welfare of the city and the welfare of our families and the welfare of our souls, as always. Thank you for listening as we discuss that kind of stuff here on this podcast. Until next time, God bless. You've been listening to The Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. For more content like what you just heard, subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. Also check out thegarrettashleymulletshow.com to subscribe to email alerts when new episodes are published. As always, you can reach me with any comments, questions, complaints, objections, or insights at garrettashleymullet at protonmail.com.